We've all seen bizarre, strange, weird things at one time or another. In fact, the other week I was at the park and I was watching this lady on the toddler section of the playground and she had this big dog with her and she and this dog just kept going down this slide. The slide was only about four feet long, but she just over and over again, this grown woman and this huge dog going down this toddler slide. It seemed odd to me, looked a little strange, looked a little bizarre, but we've all seen things like that. In fact, we've all probably been there ourselves when people would look at us and say, ah, he looks a little strange. She's doing something a little weird. We've all been there. And this last week, as we went through the overview of the first eight visions or the eight visions that Zechariah had, uh, I'm sure we'd all say they seemed a little strange. They looked a little bizarre. Some were odd and difficult to kind of make sense of. But as we worked our way through them, we saw that Zechariah, he was using these eight visions that he had really to introduce the people of Judah to the Messiah. And he introduced them to a Messiah who could have authority over all the nations. A Messiah who would oppose external opposition and oppose internal opposition. A Messiah who could overcome our sin and our weakness. And so with this in this picture revealed to Judah, the theme of the book, hey, return to God, return to his word, is causing the people to think. And so they respond with this question in chapter seven. And the question is, hey, uh, do we need to keep on mourning? I mean, they've been in mourning since the destruction of Solomon's temple. They've been fasting. They've been doing these different things. And so they're asking the question, do we need to keep on mourning? Do we need to keep on fasting? And Zechariah, he responds, the prophet responds with four messages. And so this morning, as we kind of gather together, we're going to look at the four messages that Zechariah really shared and then the two oracles. So let's jump right in. Chapter 7, the first of the four messages that is in response to this question, should we keep on fasting? Do we need to keep on mourning? Here we go. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. The prophet writes, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by, my for, by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So the prophet, what he does is he takes their question, should we keep on mourning, should we keep on fasting, and he turns it around and he spins it right back to them and he points out their insincerity. He says, oh, sure, yeah, you're religious people. I mean, yeah, sure, you fasted, you've offered sacrifices, you've dressed up in sackcloth and ashes as you've mourned. Sure, you've done all these things. You can almost imagine the prophet saying to a group of people today that, hey, yeah, you went to the church building. Sure, you helped out in the nursery or children's ministry or on the greeting team or something like this. And yeah, you went to all the candlelight Christmas Eve services. You got all dressed up in your Sunday best for Easter. Yes, you did all these things. But did you do them for me? And for the people of Judah and sometimes for us as well, the answer is no. No, you did it to be seen. You, you did it because you thought this was like a spiritual thing to do, the right thing to do. You did it to solve your own conscience. 
It wasn't for me, the Lord says. It wasn't sincere. And so the second message, as this is the first message, and then the second message of Zechariah, he's just going to highlight their insincerity. I want you to see it. Let's look at the second message. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 through 14. The prophet writes, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate so that none went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. This is one of the rare occasions in the book of Zechariah when he really does give the people a very direct list. Here's what you should do and here's what you should not do. And upon hearing this list, the people stopped their ears. Their hearts turned diamond hard. I mean, this is a great picture of just how hard their hearts are. And these are people of lies. These are people of injustice, people who take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable, people who devise evil in their hearts. And so this is the type of people they are, and this is why the word is going to them. And when they hear this, here's what you need to change. Here's how you ought to act. They stop their ears. Their hearts get hard. They refuse to listen. And then comes a third message. And again, it's almost like the third part of one message because all these messages are kind of building on each other. I want to jump ahead in this message to uh, chapter 8, verse 9. And it reads this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. So, these same people who are doing evil, these same people who are taking advantage of the vulnerable, who are practicing injustice, understand these are the same people who are mourning. These are the same people who are sacrificing. And according to this passage right here, this verse, these are the same people who are building the temple. And so the Lord says through the prophet, okay, you're building the temple. That's good. Build it. Keep on building it. Keep working. This is good. But it must be done with personal integrity. The motivation of your heart matters. And so look at verses 16 and 17, chapter 8. This is still part of the third message. The prophet writes, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So again, this is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. And then verse 19, now we're jumping ahead to the fourth message, really the final part of this continuous series of messages. And it says this in verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth 
shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love truth and peace. So again, here's what you're supposed to do. You need to love truth. You need to love peace. And so to summarize this entire message, these four messages, it's this. Stop going through the motions. And you see this time after time after time in the Old Testament. Stop going through just empty religious motions. And Jesus, he's going to say essentially the same thing to the Pharisees. He's going to say, hey, God is not interested in making a superficially religious people. He doesn't care about that. If your religious acts are not accompanied by real integrity, real holiness, real justice, real disciple making, real love, it means nothing. It means nothing to God. Yeah, you keep coming to the church building, keep serving, keep helping out, keep getting dressed up, do, you know, do these things, fine. But your heart matters. The motivation of your heart matters. At the same time, love, true, truth. Practice peace. Help the vulnerable. Make disciples. Seek to live and to love the word of God, the truth of God's word. See that your hearts, that your speech will be full of joy and peace and encouragement. Because the thing that the prophet is trying to get across here is that God hates the charade. He can't stand it. He hates the fake. He hates the pretending. He hates putting on false airs and all these pretenses. He hates the show. Why? Because he wants all of you. He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your actions. He cares about your words. He cares about every last detail of you. So, he, so stop going through the motions because he's not impressed by any of that. And the sad thing is that it's possible just to go through the motions long enough, just to kind of engage in the charade so many times that you really do end up about an inch deep. That that's all there is to you. You got a, a life that's about an inch deep. Why? Because you've got lost in empty religious ritual and just trying to seem put together and trying to act like you got it all together. And how do you escape that? I mean, once, you, once you're in that, how do you escape that? Well, you have to go back to the visions of Zechariah. You have to be reintroduced to the Messiah and to see him, to fill your mind with who he is and what he will do, what he can do. And so when you go back to those visions, you get this stunning picture again that I just want to recapture with you of who God is and this God who has sway over all things, authority over all nations. This one who will conquer any, any evil. He conquers enemies. He conquers your, your own rebellion. And he overcomes your sin. He overcomes your weaknesses. And so you run to the one true God. You return to him and to his word. And what does he do? He turns that inch deep, superficially empty religiousness and he turns it to depth of life and knowledge and wisdom and blessing. He turns surface friendships or surface relationships into true friendships. He turns going through the motions to meaningful expressions of worship. He turns obligation to privilege. He does that. He does that. He, he gives meaning to all of life. And so you return to the Lord and his word. 
Why? Because is there any other option? I mean, do you think you can run from God's word? Do you think you can run the way that Jonah ran to Tarshish? God rules over all the nations. Do you mock God? Do you kind of make fun of it? Do you think, well, this will never happen? Do you oppose God in your heart? Because his enemies will cast down, will be cast down. Are you quietly rebelling against him? Is there, is there truth in God's word that you know you ought to reply, but you rebel against it? He will subdue every traitorous insurrection. Do you believe that your sin is too bad, that you're too stained? It's too deep for God to make you clean because he will give you new garments. Are you too insignificant? Do you feel like you're too full of weakness for God to be able to help you out? Because he will give you his spirit. You understand no sin is too great for God, no weakness insurmountable, no enemy too strong or powerful, no, no nation too big. There's no place on earth that is set apart from God's sovereign rule. All other options are futile. The only option, return to God and his word. And you know, there's another aspect to these four messages that I kind of glossed over and didn't really mention as we looked at it our first time. And it's really found in the third and fourth message. And it has to do that once you actually return to God and his word, what God does and what he provides. And so you, you had this unbelievable picture of this restored Jerusalem. I want you to see just this evocative imagery with me. Chapter eight, verses four and five says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. You this picture of the old who are just living out the last years of their life. And at the same time, the young and the boys and the girls just running in the streets, having fun. It's this great picture of the graciousness of our Lord, allowing all ages of life to come together in the fullness and the joy of this life, enjoying it together. And then you move on from there and you see people clamoring for the blessings of the Lord. I want you to see that. Verses 22 and 23 of chapter 8. It reads this, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. You know, some say this is a future promise that will be fulfilled in the millennium. And I, I think that's true. Um, but I also think you get an expression of that here and now, that even in the church age, that, that, that we can experience this. That when we live the life the way that God intends that we live it, empowered by his spirit, and we live lives full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that people will look at us and they'll say, what, what do you have that I don't have? How, how are you such full of hope? And we'll have this opportunity to give a response because there's something that just makes the mind curious when you live a life like this. There's a line that was recorded during the time of the early church when the, when the early church was being persecuted by the Romans and, and there were some Romans who even asked the questions, look how they love each other. That was the question, it's recorded. And, and so they're trying to make sense of it. People try to make sense when you live the life that Jesus intends we live. <laughs> and then as you live this life, the only way possible to live this life is what the prophet really addresses next. And it's these two oracles. The first oracle is found in chapters 9 through 11. And the second oracle is chapters 12 through 14. By the way, that word oracle 
It means burden. It can be translated burden. And so this prophet, he has this deep burden for God's truth that the people of Judah would understand it, that they would live it. And by the way, any preacher who ever preaches a message, they should be burdened that their audience understands and lives God's truth. Any parent, as they speak God's truth to their children, any friend who speaks God's truth to his friend, it should be a burden that the person you're talking to understands it and lives it and hears it. The first oracle, the first burden of the prophet is he actually paints this incredible picture. It's a picture where he puts into contrast the unfaithful human shepherds of Judah versus the faithful shepherd king, the Messiah. I want you to see this with me. Look at chapter 10, verse 3. It reads this, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and I will make them like his majestic steed in battle. I'll flip ahead. Chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. It says, then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd. Woe who, who, who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered. His right eye be utterly blinded. You know, one of the great judgments that God can give to any group of people is poor leadership. And oftentimes, you know, we get the leaders that we deserve. This is especially true of God's covenant people. You go and you look through the history of Judah, the history of Israel, and oftentimes they got the leaders they deserve. They got really bad kings. And there were times, there was exceptions when God would give them a, cool, a good king, but they rarely ever deserved it. And and. At the same time, one of the greatest blessings that God can ever give to a group of people is good, godly elders, godly pastors, godly leadership. And here we see that he's given poor leadership because this is what they deserve. However, he's going to give them what they do not deserve. He's going to be gracious to them and give them a good shepherd king. I want you to see this. Look back with me. Chapter 9, verse 9. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. <laughs> you know, how's a leader supposed to come in? I mean, you think about it today. How, how's a president come in? Well, the president arrives on Air Force One. I mean, you expect this leader to come and like stick his head out of a tank or something. Just do this tremendous thing where the people will just stand back and ooh and ah. And he comes in with all this regalia and prestige. And oh, wow, he is set apart. He is something special. And even in this day, you know, you would expect a Messiah, a shepherd king to come in, not on a donkey, no, but on a horse, on a war horse horse, like triumphant, this tall, strong, powerful horse. But here we see, this is not how this shepherd king comes. He comes on a donkey, not even that, on the colt, the foal of a donkey, a little untrained donkey. You get almost a pathetic picture. And it speaks to the humility of this shepherd king. 
Just as the shepherds also are betraying the people, so this shepherd king, he will come and he will be betrayed by his people. I want you to see this. Look at chapter 11, verse 12. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. You know, this verse is going to be then used in the gospels because it is the price of betrayal that Judas received. And yes, this humble, betrayed shepherd king will save his people. Look back again, chapter 9, verse 16. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. And look again, chapter 10, verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am their God and I will answer them. So God is doing this amazing thing for his people. He sets aside their worthless shepherds and he brings forth this one shepherd king who is humble and who is betrayed and who will save his people. (laughs) A shepherd king they do not deserve. And then we move ahead now to the second oracle, the second burden. And it begins with this message of judgment uh, for all who oppose Jerusalem. And he's going to treat them as this heavy stone that they cannot lift. They're going to go about staggering. Judah herself, she's going to be pictured as this flaming torch who, who just kind of lights her foes on fire. Uh, God, he's going to bring destruction to anyone who comes against Judah. And so there's this picture of judgment. And then after that, uh, Zechariah, his second oracle begins to look a whole lot like his first because he will prophesy about the shepherd king. I want you to hear it. Chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. The shepherd king, he will be pierced. And then chapter 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. The shepherd king will be struck. Now, So far, these first two oracles, these first two burdens, they're very similar. There's judgment against the unfaithful. There's a coming true shepherd king. And the shepherd king is going to be betrayed. He's going to be pierced. He's going to be struck. And then we notice that the second oracle takes a sharp turn from the first oracle. Because in the first oracle, while it's true that the shepherd king saves his people... He himself seems to be destroyed. It it almost ends with his betrayal. And so what what comes of this shepherd king? Well, in the second oracle, in the second burden, we see that this shepherd king, even after his betrayal, that, that there will be this coming day, a day where the earth quakes and the sky goes black and the shepherd will rule. Even after he's been betrayed, even after he's been pierced, even after he's been struck, the shepherd king will rule and he will usher in a day of universal holiness. Let's go right to the end of Zechariah chapter 14 verses 20 and 21. And on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. 
And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. So that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Now, maybe this hardly strikes you. You don't quite know what he's talking about. But the bells of horses and bowls and pots and these things. But you understand what he's saying? He's saying that you can take even the smallest items even the things that you would just kind of put off and cast aside, the, the bells and the horses' bridles or, or these just pots in your home. In, in our day, it'd almost be like the soles on the bottom of your work shoes or something like this. These insignificant things. And in that day, he's going to make it all holy to the Lord. Everything will be holy to the Lord. I mean, you won't be able to find a spatula like buried deep in your messiest kitchen cabinet, kitchen drawer that is not holy to the Lord. This is what the shepherd king is ushering in. Where everything is holy to him that he makes all things holy by his word. He gives meaning to everything. Do you see nothing can outrun the word of the Lord? Zechariah, he's done so much more than just give us a list of do's and don'ts. He says, I want you to see this shepherd king. I want you to understand him. I want you to understand who he is and what he's going to do. I want you to see how he's suffered. I want you to know what's coming. And so he introduces the people of Judah and even gives us this fresh picture of this king, this shepherd king. And he will conquer by being conquered he will kill sin by being killed. He will scatter his enemies by being torn to pieces. He will bake, break the backs of the proud by being betrayed. He will trample the wicked by riding on a lowly donkey. He will triumph as your king by being slaughtered as a lamb. And he will unite everything in the whole world in complete holiness simply by his word. His word overtakes Everything. This goes right back to the beginning. You cannot outrun the word of the Lord. And so with that being the case, man, we got to study his word. We got to live it. We got to love it. We got to teach it. We got to be burdened to pass it on. This is the burden of Zechariah. That you understand the truth of who God is and what he will do. And I've got to pass this on. And we got to have that same burden. The same burden to pass along the truth of of scripture, because when you see a savior like this, a savior who conquers by being conquered, how do you respond to that? Well, God's word tells us. It goes back to that Palm Sunday greeting that we, that we read about from Zechariah. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Return to him. Return to his word. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you just for this beautiful, amazing picture that your prophet Zechariah paints for us, a picture of your son Jesus, one who conquered by being conquered, one who killed our sin by being killed himself. And so God, forgive us when we take things lightly. Forgive us for when we just go through the motions. God, help us to be a sincere people who love truth, love your truth, and live accordingly. We recognize that we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
right. 